Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at weareradiant.com. Well, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Aaron Burke, and I'm the lead pastor here at Radiant Church. One church, six locations all across Tampa Bay, and I want to welcome all those that are joining us online, maybe watching this message throughout the week. We love you guys. We consider you part of the family. Make sure you let us know how these messages are impacting your life. And we are in part one of a series that we are calling The B-List. So if you're here in person, why don't you take out those paper notes? If you're there at home, you can take out that app and follow along with us on the app. We are a note-taking church, so you can follow along with us there. And I thought it'd be fun over the next month or so, to look at some of the lesser known characters throughout the Bible, that if you ever read through the Bible in a year, which you should do, we're all gonna start it as a church in January, you read some of these stories, you're like, what is even the lesson here? And so my goal would be to tackle some of those stories, some of those characters who are less known figures, but they are people of unbelievable faith. And I think it should encourage you when you hear these guys and these girls' names over this next month, because everybody knows the Abrahams and Davids and Peters and Esthers, those kind of Bible all-stars. But I hope to give some of you guys some hope today that even though you might not be famous, you can still be faithful and make an impact for the kingdom of God. That God is interested more in our consistency than our celebrity. And I hope it's encouraging some people in here that when you hear these names, you go, I don't even know who they are. That you don't have to be someone that everybody knows who they are for you to make a big impact for the kingdom of God. So we're going to have a lot of fun going through these stories. And the first one, it's found in the book of Judges. So if you have your Bible, you're going to turn there to the book of Judges. But let me give you some background before I jump right into the story. The background is the people of God, the Israelites, they have been delivered from Egypt But as they go from Egypt, they go into a wilderness. It should have only taken a few weeks for them to travel to their promised land, but it ended up being a 40-year journey, a journey that was marked by a lot of disobedience. One day they're following God, the next day they're not. So it's ups and downs and back and forth. And finally, a leader gets raised up by the name of Joshua. Joshua takes them over the Jordan River, actually through the Jordan River, into what is called the promised land. But how many know that many times just because you arrive where you always wanted to arrive, that doesn't mean the battle is over. Can I hear an amen? Like like we always had this idea, if I just get there, then everything will be okay. Like I had this crazy idea, if I just get married, everything will be resolved. How many know sometimes that's where the battle actually begins? (laughs) If I just get kids, then I'll have peace in my life. If I just start my own business, then I'll be able to really control my schedule. Yeah, right. It's a life where we have this idea that once you get there, you've made it and all the battles are gone. And it's actually not true. That's exactly what happened with the children of Israel. They arrive into the promised land, but in the promised land, they didn't realize they're going to have to keep battling. There's going to be war after war that happened. And so they have all these little armies that they're conquering. And as they're conquering them, God raises up leaders. Now, the leaders that took over Israel during that time were called judges. Say judges. Okay, judges were both male and female leaders that would take the reins of the, of the country and they would kind of lead them through this time. Now, if they were righteous leaders, then the people were led righteously and they would actually end up prospering and being blessed. 
But when the leader was not righteous, then at that time, many times the people would be taken over by another country. It shows that who our leadership is really does matter a lot. So they end up having this first judge that takes over. As soon as they go into the promised land, and this judge is a righteous judge, he brings 40 years of blessing and peace over the country. But then this guy dies. And the Bible tells us what happens once this guy dies, that the people decided to live life their own way. It's going to show a lot of your story in here today, where one day you're doing good and one day you're not. It's kind of the life that all of us live. And we see it in our story today. We're going to look at the book of Judges, chapter 3. Again, we just had 40 years of blessing and prosperity and the grace of God. But then the Bible says it like this in verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12. Again, say again. Again. All right, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It looks a little bit like your life, right? It's like, again, they're doing that again. They're dealing with that problem again. And it says, because they did this evil, the Lord God gave Eglon. Say Eglon. All right, you need to know who this is. Who's the king of Moab. Power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and he attacked Israel and he took possession of the city of Palms. Let me pause there for just a second. The city of Palms is what is known as Jericho. So it's a major city in Jerusalem, one of the very first places that they were able to conquer. Now it's taken back over by the enemy. And look what it says in verse 14. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Now that's a long time. You got year after year after year of them being oppressed, of them going into slavery, of them not able to live free. And what is the solution? Here's what happens so many times. That we get in so much dysfunction that we think that the dysfunction is the way it's going to be the rest of our life. And that's what happened. They ended up settling for 18 years under ungodly leadership and an ungodly way of living. But then something happens. I love this. And look at verse 15. Look what the word starts with. What? Again. I think it's so important. There's two different agains. Again, they did evil, but again, God came through. I want somebody to be encouraged today. You might have fallen into your sin again and again and again, but I have a good news for you today. Our God is still coming through for you again, again, again. He's showing his grace again. It says again. The Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave him a deliverer. And here's our deliverer's name, Ehud. Say Ehud. All right, I love Ehud, and you can write it down. It's the title of today's message. It's, we're going to learn about Ehud, and it's simply the title, Time to Break the Cycle. Time to Break the Cycle. Let's, let's look at the story for just a little bit. They get out of the wilderness. They get into the promised land, and we see a cycle start in their life. Now, I don't want you to to shame them or condemn them, because if we're honest, we all have cycles in our Christian life of really going after God and then really not living the way we should live. Can we be real today across all of these locations that there's probably some moments that if you were to look back on your Christian journey, you would go, oh, I'm probably not as proud of those moments right there. Those weren't the moments I blasted on social media. They aren't the moments that I was celebrating with my church friends. There are probably some moments there where you struggle a little bit. We have this mindset that as soon as we get saved, that our journey from where we are to where God wants us to be should look something like this. 
It should just be a nice path of life. I gave my life to the Lord, and then I'm going to be all that God's called me to be, hitting the finish line. But how many know the Christian life doesn't look anything like that? The Christian life is not like that. The Christian life is more like this. This is the Christian journey. This is what it really means. You gave your life to the Lord. You went to that tent on the way out and got prayer, got into a small group, but then things happen. Maybe you lose your job, or maybe you get around the wrong person. You get in the wrong relationship. You start listening to the wrong stuff. And there's some moments of advancement, but how many know there's also some moments where there's some dips in your life? There's some struggles in your life. And what we have to understand is, listen, there's going to be high moments. There's going to be low moments. But real victory comes when you're able to recognize you're in a cycle that you need to break out of to advance to all that God has for you. And I'm a firm believer that God brought you to this message today. He's letting you hear this today because you might be down, but you're not out. You might be in a rut. You might be frustrated. You might think there's no hope, but I want you to know it's time to break the cycle, bring you out of 18 weeks, 18 months, or 18 years of dysfunction and into all that God has for your life. Can I hear somebody? give him a little bit of praise today and that's our story of Israel they are now in a moment of dysfunction they are under an enemy that they didn't want to be under and God raises up a deliverer and I want to show you his story that you've maybe never read before because it's a little cray cray so if you did not bring your kids into kids church you asked for it okay it's a little pg-13 Verse 15, let's see it like this. And I think this story, I've heard so many people tell me that. Like, I've never heard this preached on. Perfect. Ready? Verse 15. So let's hear about Ehud. Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud. A left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute. Say tribute. Tribute simply a tax. So they sent him with a tax to Eglon, king of Moab. So you have the Israelites under oppression presenting a guy named Ehud to go, hey, go pay our tax to this evil king that is over us. Now Ehud made a double-edged sword about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who, let's just look what the Bible says about him, who was a very fat man. (laughs) Now, let me tell you, you might be a big dude, but when the Bible calls you a fat dude, I mean, you got the original job of the hut here, all right? Lording over the people of Israel. And here's the story. Verse 18, after Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent them, sent on their way those who carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon. Now, this story doesn't make sense. We'll break it down in a second. And he said, your majesty, I have a secret message for you. So the king said to his attendants, leave us alone. And they all left. Ehud then approached him, approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace. And he said, I have a message from God for you. So the king rose from his seat. Now follow this along, verse 21. Ehud reached with his left hand and drew the sword from his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. Now you think, this couldn't get any worse. Oh, hold on. Verse 22. Even the handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out and the fat closed in over it. Now some of y'all have been looking for a good verse to memorize. Okay. 
Judges 3.22, that was your verse right there. Even the handle sank in after the blade and the bow was discharged. Like people are like, what are you talking about? Verse 23, then Ehud went out to the porch and he shut the door of the upper room behind him and locked them. Verse 24, after he had gone, the servant came and found the doors of the upper room locked. They said he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the palace. What does that mean? They think he's using the restroom. All right, this is getting weird. Verse 25, they waited to the point of embarrassment, but when he did not open the doors of the room, they took a key, unlocked them, and they saw the Lord fallen on the floor dead. Verse 26, while they waited, Ehud got away, and he passed by the stone images and escaped to Sirah. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with him from the hills with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered. For the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down and took possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab. And they allowed no one to cross over. Verse 29. At that time, they struck down about 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. Not one escaped. Verse 30. I want you to see this very clearly. That day, Moab was made subject to Israel. And the land had peace for 80 years. All right, we're talking about breaking the cycle. You have 40 years of prosperity. You have 18 years of oppression. And then a deliverer's raised up that brings in, in the history of Israel, one of the longest spans of freedom and prosperity to the nation because of one guy, and his name was Ehud. I want to talk to some people today that are ready to break the cycle. They're ready to get free and move forward to all that God has for you today. And so I'm going to give you three quick lessons from this story that I think will help you find victory in this next season of your life to be all that God's called you to be. Number one, write it down in your notes this way, is simply you've got to stop feeding the thing that is fighting you. Now look at our story again. Our story is that Ehud job was that he was to bring the tribute, to bring the tax to Eglon. And he had an epiphany one day that I think is an epiphany we all need in our life. Why am I giving money to this guy who doesn't deserve it? And by the way, who has the power to kill me? He finally has a moment where he wakes up and goes, why am I feeding this guy? Why am I doing this to him? He has this moment to realize, man, Maybe we should cut off the supply to the thing that is oppressing us. Uh, it reminds me of a story of a time uh, a few years back. This is before Tiger King was like a thing. And there was a girl in our church who worked at the Big Cat Rescue in town. Okay, so she came up to me after one of the services. And now she wasn't the main girl, just so you know. It's like not the controversial one. But anyway, so... She, she came up to me after the service and said, hey, Pastor Aaron, I work at this cat rescue. Do you want to come with your family? I would love to show you guys, you know, the big tigers and stuff. I was like, I'd love to go do that. So we took the kids, my wife, we went over there. And I said, I asked her, I said, how do you get these animals? She said, oh, very easily. People give them to us. I said, why? These animals are very expensive. Why would they just give them to you? They're like, it's normally a rich person who buys a little pet baby tiger. Have you ever seen a little baby tiger? They're so cute. They're so cuddly. You just want to hold them and you're, it's all cute. And so they buy these things and they don't realize that they're feeding something that eventually can kill them. So eventually they have a moment where they go, I got to get rid of this thing or it's going to get rid of me. 
so they end up giving this tiger away. I've come to talk to somebody today who you are in a dangerous cycle of feeding something that if you're not careful, it will kill you. You're feeding that addiction. You're feeding that temptation. You're feeding that relationship at your workplace. And you don't understand in the long game of this, you are feeding something that if you're not careful, it'll kill your marriage. It'll kill your joy. It'll kill your walk with God. It'll kill your potential. You got to kill the thing that's trying to kill you in your life. Come on, give God better praise. Amen. Then Galatians says it this way, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. And he says it this way, a man reaps what he sows. So let me tell you, you get the results of what you're investing in. Whatever you feed is going to grow and whatever you starve is going to die. And he goes on to say, so if you want to feed their flesh, guess what? From your flesh, you're going to reap destruction. But then he gives us another option. He says, you don't have to feed that thing anymore. But he says, whoever sows to the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Can I encourage somebody today? You're making a decision, even being part of this message, even taking some notes right now. You're making a big deal to feed your spirit. And I want you to know, you let that spirit grow strong. You let it get to a place of victory. And if you'll cut off the flesh and you'll feed the spirit, you'll see yourself walk into victory that God has for your life. <laughs> Write it down this way, ready? Until you cut off the source, you will always be slave to the sin. There's a lot of you guys, you can't find your way out of the, the, the sin. How do we find our way out of the sin? We cut off the source. We stop feeding it. We stop investing in it. Let me just say it this way. There's some things that you should stop watching online. There's some people you should stop following. There's some friends that you should stop hanging out with. Why? Every time you're around it, you keep feeding something that is going to eventually destroy your life. And this is a warning from God today. Cut it off. It's time to cut it off. So he makes an important decision. I love this decision he makes because his life is there to bring this, this his whole job is to bring this tribute to, to, e, uh, to Eglon. And he decides one day, why don't I stop feeding it? And now why don't I fight it? Let me just do something different. So he gets in the back of his house and he puts together and he builds a little, builds a little dagger. And it's not a huge one. They say it's a cubit long. A cubit long is about from the elbow right to where your wrist starts. So he gets a little dagger and he sits there and he goes, I wonder if there's a moment where I can now attack the thing that's been attacking us for so long. Look what the Bible says. Now Ehud made a double-edged sword about a cubit long and he strapped it to his right thigh under his clothing. He says, listen, I'm going to go and prepare this thing where nobody else sees it. But let me just say, even though nobody else sees it, doesn't mean it's not important and not valuable. Let me just encourage some people in here. It's time for you to stop making dinner for your enemy and start making a dagger that can kill your enemy. Let, let's get more strategic. Let's get more intentional. And look what the dagger was. It was a double-edged sword. What is our double-edged sword, Christians? The word of God. And it's those moments where you're by yourself and you're feeding on God's word and you're learning from God's word. You might not know it, but you're creating a dagger that can bring the death to the enemy in your life. It's with you. You got to make sure you form it. I, I love this story because there's so much truth in it for each of our life. As we look at this guy who decided enough is enough. 
I'm going to attack this enemy. We've got a problem. We've got a problem. The Bible tells us what the problem was. Is that the Bible says it this way. Ehud was a left-handed man. Now, let me just say this, right? No word is wasted. So he's not throwing shade on the left-handed people. But our world today is only made of about 10% of the population is left-handed. So I want to find out today how many right now you're left-handed. Let's see those hands. Come on, where are you at? Left-handed people. Wow, a lot. This is our left-handed service. It's amazing. All the left-handed people wake up late is what I just realized. (laughs) It's true, though. There's none in early service. That's really funny. Um, So I'm not left-handed, but my my sister was. She was the only person in my family. She's my older sister. She watches these messages once in a while, so I'll give her a little shout-out. And so she was our our only family member that was left-handed. So I had to learn the world of a left-handed person. So there's things that a left-handed person has to buy that's special. Now, all of our left-handed people in here know what these things are. Like, you can't use normal scissors when you're left-handed. So you can't use normal scissors. You have to have left-handed scissors. How many people know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, there's special ones because the grip is different. It's just the way it is. It's different. Um, uh, Like the can opener. Like we would have a normal can opener. We had to buy her a special can opener because a a right-handed person does the can opener one way, but for the left-handed person, they can't do it that way. They got to do it different. She, uh, we'd all go play golf. And so she would uh, go play golf with us, but she wasn't normal. She, it's not me, it's me. She wasn't right-handed. So, so we have to get like left-handed golf clubs. So we'd get there all the time. Like, hey, hey, can you get us left-handed golf clubs? They have to go in the back, like get the dust off of them. And like, yeah, we can do that. It, it was just not normal. Um, when we went to school, you remember the desk at school? It was like, they were, they were created by right-handed people. But, but left-handed people can't be the, those desks. So they have to have a left-handed desk. Why? Because your hand has to be, it's just different. You're in a different world. Our whole world is created by right-handed people. The, the pen at the bank, by the way, was created by a right-handed person. Because the left-handed person has to reach across. It doesn't work. Right. The zipper on your pants, it was created by a right-handed person. <laughs> Why? Because it, the, the way it's designed. Like, it's all weird. So when you're left-handed, you don't know the pain until you're in a right-handed world. And we have our story today where Ehud was a left-handed dude, and the Bible says it this way, in the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Benjamite. These are the warriors. Now, why does this matter? The people of Benjamin, that word, here's what it means. Ready? Lean into this. It means son of my right hand. Now, think about the pain. You already can't use any of the stuff that is out there in the world that's created by right-handed people. But imagine your whole family is the fact that, you know what? We are the right-handers. You're with us. You're right-handed people. And this guy's Ehud. I already got the name Ehud. And now I'm the left-handed dude of the family. And it was always something that brought him a disservice until this moment where he makes a moment to realize, wait, what if the thing that had always held me back is actually my greatest asset I have to kill the king? What if the thing that is the one thing that nobody else can understand how it can be used, because if he had the dagger in his right hand, where it was in his thigh, they would know, oh, he's gonna attack. 
But he decides to make a crucial decision, and here's what it is, number two, is to turn your weakness into your weapon. Come on, somebody. Where you sit there and say, I'm not going to sit there and be frustrated about my weakness anymore. Instead, I'm going to leverage it for a greater purpose for the kingdom of God. I love this story because he makes the decision to say, if God made me left-handed, then he did it on purpose. Because there's some assignment that only a left-hander could have gotten done in that moment. Can I just encourage somebody in here today? Stop trying to blend in when you were created to stand out. You've got to stop. You've got to stop trying to be like everybody else. Your strength is not in your conformity. It's in your authenticity. It's in being who God's created you to be. It's the fact that you're unique on purpose. You have a calling on purpose, and it doesn't look like everybody else, and that's okay. That's what I love about the church. The church is made up of a bunch of weird left-handers. You think weird. Your past is weird. Your, your, your struggle is weird. And you, you, you're always ashamed of it. Stop being ashamed of it. Use it for a greater purpose. Leverage it to bring an attack on the enemy. Paul says it this way. I will boast all the more gladly about my left-handedness. My translation. About my weakness. You call it a weakness, I call it it's my ministry. It's, it's the thing. Why? Why would I use my weakness as my ministry? So that Christ's power may rest on me. You know why we use our weaknesses for a greater purposes? Because at the end of the day, when we do have victory, guess who gets the credit? It's not us, it's him. And he's all about seeing his glory reveal in this earth. So you know what he's going to do? He's going to find some people who are going, listen, everybody else is counting me out because of this issue. Well, I went through a divorce or, or I had a, a child outside of wedlock or, or I, I have this addiction that nobody, that I can't get over or, or I, I, I didn't come from the best family or I don't know the enough Bible and you're going to have all these weaknesses. It's your left hand. And God said, I'm ready to use your left hand to bring some victory in people's lives. You see, the greatest warfare strategy is actually the element of surprise. This is the thing that gets the enemy every time. And I love this idea because the element of surprise is, is that we're not going to use the obvious thing to attack. We're going to use the, the weakness, the struggle. We're going to use the things that nobody would expect. Can I just encourage somebody today? Stop hiding the issues of your past and start using them for a greater purpose. Stop hiding your left hand and use your left hand. And maybe your left hand is the thing that God wants to use for something significant in your life. Write it down this way because your destiny is usually disguised within your difference. I love this idea. Because there's something that God wants to do through your life that is significant. But Ehud, he's not looking for a right-handed person. He's not looking for somebody that everybody else can use. No, no, no. He wants someone that's unique. Own it. Own your difference. Own your uniqueness. And watch how God can use it for a bigger purpose. Are you still with me? Say yes. I love this story. Ehud then goes. And he has this moment. Okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop feeding the thing that's fighting me. I'm going to, I'm going to go on a tap. I'm going to use my, the thing that's in my life that's always been my handicap, always been my struggle. I'm going to use it for a greater purpose. But then our story goes, and I want you to get this because you have to read the Bible slowly because something then happens that's significant. 
but it goes so quickly in the scriptures, you got to read it slow. It says it like this. After Ehud had presented the tribute, that was the tax that he was going to present, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone image near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon. Whoa, pause. I thought he was at Eglon. I thought he was there. No, no, no. What we see in this story is that now Ehud is in, he's in front of the enemy, he has a decision to make, and the Bible says he sent everybody away, but actually what we see in the story is he left. And he left. Why did he leave? Here's why he left. This is my theory on it, ready? He left because it's always easier to avoid your issue than it is to face it. Always. It's always easier to run from the fight than to actually fight. Now, I've, I haven't been in many fights. I haven't been in any fights in my life. I've only been asked to be in a fight one time in my life. And it was in the sixth grade. And it was right before Spanish class. A kid came up and hit me on the back of the head. He was mad at me. And he said, hey, after school, I want to meet you outside. So you know where I was at after school? In my mama's car. <laughs> Heading home. I was 50 pounds, soaking wet. There's no way. I, I had muscle on my body to go and fight that guy. And he's probably, you know, sitting there thinking, man, he was too scared. And you know what? I'm at, he's absolutely right. He won that fight. But if he's watching this message right now, <laughs> I'd love to meet you one day. <laughs> Just to point him to Jesus, to point him to Jesus only. And then help them to get to heaven quicker, right? No, I'm joking. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Always easier to run away from the battle than to run towards it. And let's look at the story. Let's look at Ehud, okay? He's face to face with Eglon, the enemy. He's got the dagger right there. And he runs. And the Bible says he goes from Jericho to Gilgal. Now, because of Google Maps, I figured this out for you. 20 miles. 20 miles. It's about a seven hour walk. What was he doing for seven hours? That's a big king. That would cause a lot of problems. There's no, I don't, God needs to use some other Benjamite that's right-handed. Not, not me. I, I'm left-handed. I, I, I'm not even the guy for this. The dagger's too small. There's no way. And he's talking himself out of the victory and then something significant happens. Everybody listening up, listen. Something significant happens. The Bible says he gets to Gilgal. What is in Gilgal? Why is it significant? I want you to lean into this because Gilgal is shown earlier in the scriptures. Remember I told you they get out of the wilderness, they go through the Jordan River, and they get to a city called Gilgal, and it's at Gilgal that Joshua, the leader of the children of Israel, makes a decision, and I want you to see it, Joshua chapter 4. Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones, look at that, 12 stones that they had taken out of the Jordan. So they crossed through the Jordan, they grabbed 12 stones out, and he said to the Israelites, listen to this, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Why does this matter? Why does this all matter? You know why it matters? Because Ehud is walking and going, God can't use me. God can't do it through me. He picked the wrong guy. And then he gets to these 12 stones. 
And he looks at these 12 stones in Gilgal. And he sits there and makes a decision and says, if God can use Joshua, if God can do it in his life, why can't God do it in mine? I've come to encourage somebody today that you are sitting there and you're watching testimony after testimony today. You're hearing story after story today and you're going, good for them, but you don't know me. Let me encourage you, Ehud, you're hearing the story because it's a testimony of what is possible with your life. If God can use them, he can use you. There is something great on the other side of this thing. So number three, here's the third thing. How do you break the cycle? You find faith for the future by remembering God's faithfulness in the past. You just got to look back sometimes. You got to look back and go, man, look what God did. Look what happened in my life. And this is what happened in our story. Look what happened in Joshua. It says it like this. It says, he, he went in and he says, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done in the Red Sea. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, God did it once. He did it before that in the Red Sea. And they crossed over, and then he did this so that, look what it says, so that all of the peoples of the earth, let me put that in context. He said he did that, Ehud, so that you, you might know something. Let me bring it a little closer to home. He did that so that you who are watching this message right now, you might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. What is he saying? He's saying, you need to remember sometimes. You need to remember what you've been through. You need to remember how he brought you out of that thing. And when you remember it, Ehud sits there and remembers and goes, whoa, God, God did it for them at the Jordan River. And God did it for Moses at the Red Sea. And if God can use Moses, who by the way, you know what his left hand was? Stutter. And God can use Joshua, who was always overlooked. If God can use those guys, then I know God can use me. And God can help me. And he, he has this moment at Gilgal where he gets charged back up in his faith. And I'm believing it's your day today where you're going to get charged back up to go. I'm not running away from the battle. I'm running right back in to attack the thing that's been attacking me. And he gets charged up. He gets his little dagger and gets there to Eglon. He says, I have a word from God for you today. You know what the word was? It was a double-edged sword. Sometimes you gotta start declaring the word from God over your enemy. That double-edged sword called the Bible where you start declaring it over your enemy and seeing victory in your life. And he, what does he do? He pushes that sword in, lets the fat all fall over it. It's really awkward. And the guy dies right there. And he leads that one moment of courage leads the people of God into 80 years of victory. Sometimes you just gotta look back. I wrote it down this way, your last note, ready? The best way to recharge is to remember. Just, you gotta remember. And I just want you to know God's been good to you. God's been faithful to you. Do you remember? You go, well, Aaron, you don't know what I'm facing. Do you not remember how he saved you? I, I look back at my life, every obstacle I face, and I go, don't I remember? My dad, he was bound in drugs, and God set him free. Don't you remember, Aaron? You should have never got married. <laughs> if you've met my wife, you know that's the grace of God. 
I just got to remember, sometimes you got to look back. Every one of those kids that I've had, I have five of them. Those are, those, are, those are some of my 12 stones. And I look back and go, man, God did that. If he did that, why am I worried about what he can or can't do in the future? Like, I got to hold on to it. The fact that, man, if he was faithful before, he will be faithful again. Let's think about our Heights location. One of my favorite locations. I love it. I say all of our locations are my favorite. But that's, it was in our downtown campus that we started. It was our first campus that we started. And we were struggling. Our facility was tough. We, we could not, like, have a good flow there at the school. And we were ready to shut it down because we could not make it work there. And then the school approached us and said, hey, by the way, we're going to go into this construction. We're going to kick you guys out in a few months. And I remember sitting there going, there's no way it's going to happen. No way it's going to happen. We're going to have to shut this thing down. We had a whole vision of launching campuses all over. And we're going to shut one down. And I remember that's when the Lord opened up a supernatural door called our Heights Campus. If you haven't been there, it's unbelievable what God's done. Every time I work there throughout the week, and I drive up on that campus, and I think of it going, this is, a pro- this is one of our 12 stones. It's one of our 12 stones. God's been good to us. And I want to just encourage somebody today. We're going to take communion together at the end of this message. And let it be a stone. Let it be a moment where you can look back and go, wow, look what God did. And if he did it for that person on the stage and he did it for my friend, he's no respecter of persons. He can do it for you too, Radiant Church. He can do it for you. You know, it's the best Gilgal moment we can have. It's when we take communion together as a church. You know why? Because now you're not looking at some issue that man did and some faith journey that some Ehud guy had. But now you're looking at what Jesus did for us. Our God, who was rich in mercy, abounding in love, looked down and saw broken and lost sinful humanity, me and you, and said, I'm gonna bring a solution to them. And he sent his only son to come to this earth and die for you and for me. Why? So that we might have life and we might have it to the full. I don't know about you, but if you're looking for a Gilgal moment, you look at what Jesus did for you. The fact that he died for you. He was buried. He rose from the grave. And now that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. And I've come to encourage you. Nothing is impossible with our God. Nothing is too big for our God. Come on, let's stand to our feet all over Tampa Bay. And let's begin to give him the praise and the worship and the glory that he deserves. Come on, let's sing it out. Come on, we sing. Hallelujah. Praise the one who saved. campuses, this is a moment where somebody's going to start their journey with Jesus. 
We're gonna have a Gilgal moment. We're gonna have a moment where we remember what Jesus has done. We're gonna take communion together as a church, but it would be, it would be wrong for us to have this moment where we take communion without giving people an opportunity to first repent and give their lives to Christ. If you're in here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know you haven't gone too far, you haven't messed up too much for Jesus to radically save you. He's drawing you right now. He, he, you feel that tug on your heart. You know that your way is not working out. Today's your day of total surrender. You've given Jesus your past, your sin, your issues, and watching your life forever be changed. If that's you, on the count of three, I want you to make a decision. A serious yet significant decision right here in this moment to surrender your life to Christ. And if that's you on the count of three, I want you to raise that hand. I want you to wave it at me and then put it right back down. Ready? One, two, three. Throw those hands up right all the way. Thank you, 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 thank you. All over every location, just throw that hand up, put it right back down. This is your moment of salvation. This is where it all starts. Let's all pray this prayer. Why don't we all pray it out loud together at every location. Say, dear Jesus, today I give you my life, my past, my present, and my future. For the rest of my life, I'm going to follow you. Forgive my sin. Be my Lord and be my Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody that believes it says, come on, let's celebrate those who just made the best decision ever. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that communion. If you didn't get any, our ushers are walking down right now. They'll hand some out to you. But I want us to have a moment where we remember. Let's make it a Gilgal moment. And Ehud, you're going to get charged up, encouraged, and sent out to face that enemy, remembering what Jesus has done for you. So let's take that bread, that first piece. Let's open up the top of that. I want you to hold that piece of bread up whenever you get it ready. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is, listen, this is going to represent my body. It's going to be broken for you. We have the body of Jesus that was broken. That which is whole being broken. So that we who are very broken can be made whole again. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you for what you did for us on that cross. We thank you that all of our brokenness can be made whole right now. Lord, our broken minds, our broken emotions, our broken hearts, our broken relationships, we give it all to you. We thank you for what you did for us in Jesus' name. Let's eat. Let's take the last cup. Let's open it up. And let's have a moment just to reflect. I know we're a couple minutes over today. That's what happens when we have 25 baptisms in a service. <laughs> just want you to take a moment. Let's focus on the blood of Jesus. Where would we be without the blood of Jesus? Where would we be about without his sacrifice? David, why don't you sing? I want us to take a moment. Let's just sing this song together as you reflect. Make this your Gilgal, your moment of remembrance. can wash away my sins. Nothing but the blood of
Lord, we are so thankful for your blood that you shed for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. The blood that saves us and forgives us and sanctifies us. We remember today what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, let's drink together. We're going to collect them on the way out, but why don't we just take a second and one more time give our Jesus the praise and the worship that he deserves. Come on. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For service times or giving options, visit us at weareradiant.com.